chapter 11, verse 19, book of Acts. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as, help me with that word, Phoenicia, thank you, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Syrian, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus Christ. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and returned to the Lord. God, speak to us now as Gary shares the word with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, everybody. Grab your message notes. Your Bibles are open. I'm grateful for that. April 17th, 1970. I was just six years old. I don't know what you were doing or even if you were alive then. But it's a day that testifies to the lengths that people will go in order to get three guys home. Now, the movie Apollo 13 chronicled that day. Now, Apollo 13 was to make America's third lunar landing. But flight director Gene Krantz ordered the mission aborted when an oxygen tank exploded up in space on the vessel, sending into action a catastrophic series of events. As power, heat, water, air depleted in space, the crew on the ground had to figure out how to get the astronauts home, but had to create an air purifier using only items on board with the spacecraft. And then to make a successful re-entry, NASA engineers calculated there would be four minutes of silence when the spacecraft came back through the Earth's atmosphere. With no guarantees the systems would work or allow for successful re-entry, seemingly all of America stopped to watch this event. I watched it this week on History Channel as Walter Cronkite was at the chair at CBS News. I saw pictures of Grand Central Station and thousands of people stopped looking at monitors as Apollo 13 came back. And you could hear the interaction between Houston and Apollo 13 and then the four minutes of silence. And Walter Cronkite was in that posture. And then five minutes. And then six minutes. And then they spotted it. And the parachutes deployed and Apollo 13 came to a splashdown. The day after the crew returned home safely, President Nixon stopped into Houston to give them, each one of them, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian award. Mind-boggling, the lengths that people will go to, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, millions, to see three people come home. Uh, in 1951, in a Burlingame living room, that Burlingame living room in that house, 22 followers of Jesus met with God with a big ask. They had no professional clergy in the room. They had no buildings outside their homes. They had no defined strategy. They just had faith that in 1951, the peninsula needed a church that would have in its DNA a vision to go where the people are, knowing it would require them each great lengths to go to in order to get people home, home with their Heavenly Father. And this whole month, we've been renewing our minds with that vision. Our model church has been uh, Acts 11, Acts 13, Acts 16, the Church of Antioch. And we've been looking at ingredients of Antioch. You have all four of them here. It would do well to ask God to bring these ingredients into our lives 
Uh, look on page one here. The first week we talked about, they prioritized also over only. Verse 21, uh, 19 and 20. The second week we came back, they pursued the Lord with wholehearted devotion. We focus on one word in verse 23, all. It's used twice. And then last week we looked at how Jesus was central in all of their lives, in every area of their lives. Uh, they were first called Christians in Antioch. The first time the word appears in the New Testament, in the whole Bible. And it wasn't a compliment. It was a derogatory term. They leaked Jesus. They were so saturated with Jesus, people mocked them and go, oh, there's the little Jesuses. There's the little Christ ones. And then today we're going to look at the final ingredient that we need that this church had. And it has nothing to do with you. So exhale. Take the load off. It has everything to do with God. Look at this. The hand of the Lord was on them. We read it together. Brian read it to us. You can see it on the top of page one. The Lord's hand was on them. What does that mean? I'm going to do in the next five minutes what you can do on your own. Bible Gateway, great online Bible, multiple versions of the Bible. I just put hand of the Lord in quotes, hit search, and everywhere that term is used in the scriptures came up for me. Let me tell you what I've learned. The hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord is power. That's the first thing. You can see that on page 1. Uh, in Exodus 14, remember when the, um, the Israelites were fleeing the Egyptians and they came to a body of water and God said, wait for it, wait for it. And all of a sudden the water parts on this dry land. They walk through and then on the other end and the Egyptians are coming and God says, wait for it, wait for it. And the sea covers the Egyptians and they're free. This is exactly what happened right after that moment. They're on the shores of the other side, having seen God deliver. And look what it says. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. What does the hand of the Lord mean? The first thing it means is this, power beyond human ability. Something happens that's way beyond yourself where you look back and you go, I'm not that good. I didn't do that. Don't you want that for your lives? Don't we want that for our relationships that matter most? Don't we want that for our character? That people look at us and go, oh my gosh, that, that, uh, your forgiveness right there, that's not human. The way you let go of bitterness right there, that's not human. The way you love people, that's not human. That's the whole point, men and women, of why we're in Christ. So that we don't make much of us but that Christ is made much of. The first aspect of the hand of the Lord is power. Can you just say that? Power. Beyond human ability. But power without character is very scary. Look at the second aspect. These two go together. The hand of the Lord is power for blessing. Power for blessing. In Nehemiah chapter 2, and this is all over the scriptures, I just chose this one. And because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. God blesses according to his purposes. Of course, God loves to bless, not in the human American way of giving us more and more comfort and more this and bigger and all that. That's not at all what I'm talking about. In the kingdom way. So God's name is renowned. So you live into becoming fully human, who you are created to be. God loves to give his hand as power for blessing. Now, I was sitting all week, and where have I seen God's hand, the hand of the Lord in my life? And I can just tell you this, in a smaller way, I had an experience in December where I saw the hand of my friend Mike in my life. Uh, my wife asked that uh, we put a new shower head 
on our shower. And I'm like, oh, shower head, that's in my pay grade. That's just screwing something off and screwing something on. She goes, good, okay, I ordered one. I'm like, great. It came in the mail. It was like five feet long. I'm like, I think this is beyond my pay grade. I open it up. I, I kid you not, I open the instructions. I got to page one, like the picture of the shower head. I'm like, I, I, this is beyond me. So I called my friend Mike. Mike is a member of this church, and he's a professional in the valley, but he does this stuff recreationally. He pretty much built his whole house. And so the hand of Mike came on me. <laughs> and he looked at these instructions. I kid you not, like for four minutes, figured it out, threw them away, and said, let's do this. And we came in. He brought. He had tools I didn't even know existed. He drilled. He did this. He did that. And not only did the hand of Mike help me install a showerhead, it was a blessing to do. As we spent time, we sharpened each other. We encouraged each other. And every time I take a shower, including this morning, do not think of that image, but every time as I take a shower, I just think the hand of Mike did this. How much more the hand of God to come on your life with power for blessing. Now let me ask you a question. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to think about this. Where do you need the hand of the Lord? One of the things that marked this church was it was beyond natural. This wasn't, this Antioch did not come about because of great strategy or great teaching or a great, and none of those ingredients. At the end of the day, it was the hand of God. Where do you need a beyond natural hand in your life, in your character, in relationships that matter? That will drive your prayer life. That should drive your prayer life. I find so often I pray for things that, honestly, uh, I pray vague or I pray small, and this is just me, to get God off the hook. Like, this is a common prayer of mine. Bless my day. Really? Sometimes I think God goes, you have a seatbelt, you have an alarm system, you have, uh, you know, you, you have a mind I gave you. Aren't you blessed enough? Right? But I pray that because then I say, well, then I don't know really. I mean, as I really evaluate and exegete that prayer, then I don't know if God's answered or not. It's safe. Why don't we pray for big things? We'll get to that in a moment. Okay. So you got it? Where do you see and need the hand of the Lord? Am I sounding weird right now? Am I okay? Okay, good. Okay. Now, how do you know God's hands on your life? Now, friends, I've got good news. You want good news? What I'm about to give you is free of charge. Like, it's not even in your notes. I am going to take about eight minutes and give you stuff that you're going to need to write down because you do not want to forget this. It's not even in the notes, okay? Evidence of the hand of God in Antioch, okay? How do we know God's hand was in Antioch? And with God's hands on you, who will you become? What will you become? What will your relationships look like? I want to give you four things. It's like a sermon inside a sermon. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Me and Angie are tracking. That's awesome. Here we go. Here's the first evidence. Christians were repurposed by the gospel. Christians were repurposed by the gospel. I promise that will come up on the screen in a minute. When God's hand is on you. There it is. Thanks, Barney. If God's hand is on this church, you won't see yourself as just a teacher or an educator or a high school student or a mom or a dad. You will be repurposed for something greater than that. And you'll see those areas as platforms for God's greater kingdom purpose. In verse 20, it says this. It's on the screen. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. 
telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this church was founded by people fleeing for their lives. In a time when refugees is in the news, Antioch was founded by refugees. But they didn't let their circumstances define them. They were gospel people first. And wherever they went, they leaked Jesus. You know that word telling and the word speak there? It's used twice. It's not the word for preach. It's the word for interpersonal communication. Wherever they went, they just said, Ooh, hey, good to meet you. Can I tell you about Jesus? You have no idea what this guy's doing. Like. Hey, what a great day. Sunshine reminds me of the Son of God. Jesus is so cool. It just got out and out and out. It just leaked out of them. The church of Antioch was not built by professionals in the pulpit. It was built by people in the pews. People like you. That's why you are the greatest asset in this church. And you're the greatest asset for our future. I wish, I wish, I wish... You and I could believe that. Um, so don't you see the names of the men in verse 20? Do you see who we thank in verse 20? Does anyone see their names? You know why they're nameless? Because they were more concerned about the name of Jesus than their own name. They were much more concerned about his fame and his renown than their positions and their renown. These men were more preoccupied with people finding out about the name of Jesus than their own names. I love that type of faithless commitment. You know why I love it? Please look right here. I see it all the time in your faces and in your commitment. We are at our best when you're living this out. And I know you live this out. Your faithless, faithless face, F-A-C-E, less commitment to the Lord Jesus, where you care that he gets the glory, that you don't. In heaven we'll learn their names, but right now, they were just too concerned with the name of Christ. You need to know as we launched this vision, it rests on one premise, and I'll go to my grave with this. The power of PCC is God's spirit pouring out God's favor on God's people. We're not growing, by, and we're not going to draw people to Christ through buildings or a campus or media or any professionals. Our greatest asset is you, God's people, who have God's favor and God's spirit poured out on them and are living gospel-centered, gospel-saturated lives. It's why our next series, starting next week, we're jumping into a verse-by-verse study of the book of Galatians. Because you can't live a gospel-saturated life if you don't understand how good the gospel is. I can't either. So starting next week, we'll start a series called Be Free from the book of Galatians. We'll go all the way up to uh, Easter with that series. I can't wait. I can't wait. So the first aspect that evidence I see of God's hand on them is, um, like I just told you, which is on the screen, Christians repurposed by the gospel. Here's a second. And let me just put a preface. This sermon was written or outlined almost six months ago. Okay, so what you're about to hear is called sovereignty. Communities rebuilt by God's grace. Communities rebuilt by God's grace. Verse 23. Barnabas, this has struck me all month long, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done. I've been asking myself all month long, looking at Antioch, what does grace look like? Because that's what he saw. Barnabas came in, he didn't say, oh, look at the purple carpet. Barnabas came in, he said, look at the organ. He said, look at grace. It's all over the place. Now, let me give you a history lesson. This is history, okay? This is This is fact about Antioch. I've already told you Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. About five to six hundred thousand people. Antioch was famous for its culture. 
it was famous for its business because Antioch was a was a, a port city and a hinge city between the east, uh, the Orient, and the West Europe. Everything that came from the Orient came through Antioch to go into Europe. Everything that went to the Orient came through Antioch to go into the Orient. It was the port city for that. Uh, it was a multicultural city. Antioch was filled with Jews, Romans, Greeks, Africans, Persians, Indians, Asians. And Antioch had extreme ethnic tension in the city. You know, they unearthed Antioch, and what they found was a walled city. That's nothing new. There's tons of walled cities in the first century in the Roman Empire. But here's what's new, and here's what is unique to Antioch. Not only was there a wall around the city, they've unearthed, and they believe it's up to 18 walls within the city of Antioch, like a pie. And they were wondering, why are there walls within the city? They get why they're without the city to protect themselves from outsiders, but why within? Their conclusion, the archaeologists, because these ethnic groups were protecting themselves from each other. And so they built walls up to protect themselves from each other. It was a multicultural city, but the ethnicities stayed separate. And then the church was birthed. And the Indians, and the Persians, and the Africans, and the Greeks, and the Romans, and the Jews broke through walls to come together and gather as the church. And Barnabas came in and said, oh my gosh, only the grace of God. There's nothing like this in all the city. They're all coming together. Only the grace of God looked beyond ethnicity, beyond political, to kingdom. And unity was found. I promise you, unity will not be found. We would not be any more unified, uh, whether a Democrat or Republican was our, was our president right now. The only hope for unity is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I think the church, it's our greatest hour to go out and love people in Jesus' name. It's the only way that unity is going to come about. Can you imagine the first potluck, how messy that was? (laughs) Can you imagine the Jews, like they're setting up their table, it's all kosher, and all of a sudden this Indian comes in with a big pig and just slops it on the table and says, let's eat. It must have been a mess. It always is when you're an also kind of person instead of an only kind of person. Remember week one? It's messy. It's thrilling. Uh, this might be a good place for Romans 15:7. under this point. Um, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This multi-ethnic, multi-racial, bringing down the barriers, new fellowship, don't miss this. It's from the Holy Spirit, I'm convinced. It was not the result of the gospel only. It was the reason the gospel gained ground in Antioch. Can I say that again? This multi-ethnic, multicultural, unity-defining fellowship was not just the result of the gospel. It was the reason the gospel grew. Because people loved each other. Oh, Grace, what have you done? Unbelievable. Now, there, I have two more points. I'm just going to focus on one. Here's one other thing I saw in the city, uh, that resources were released through generosity. Resources were released through generosity. And then one more, Barney, one more slide. People were repenting in great numbers. All evidence of the grace of God. Verse 21, verse 24, great numbers is used. Great numbers is used. This church had the hand of God on them and great things happened. 
PCC was started with a big ask of God. And with 20,000 people moving into the city, we're thinking it's time to ask big again. Now I'm going to ask you to look up here one more time. What's the alternative? Should we ask small? God, you're bringing 20,000 people to us. Just give us one. Just give us five. Just give us ten. See, that's where I've been so rebuked in my own prayer life going, God saying to me, you know what? You pray so safe. You want to take me off the hook, don't you? You don't trust me for great things. Pray big. Why don't we pray for all 20,000? Why don't we pray that every single new resident in Redwood City is introduced to Jesus Christ and given the opportunity to find new life in him? Or why don't we pray that the current 90,000 residents are introduced to Jesus Christ and finding new life in him? Listen, the only limit to the vision that we have for our future is your faith and my faith. It's the only limit. So what's our great number? Open up to page two. And let me just take seven minutes and unpack this. You can see at the top. We want to infuse the hope of Christ in the most influential region of the world and ask God for 10% of Peninsula homes becoming Christ-centered homes. Why 10%, you say? Well, sociologists and missiologists agree that the best way to influence a culture, you don't need 51% of the adherents, you just need 10. That number, 10%, is the tipping point in a culture that transforms a culture. Missionaries agree, sociologists agree, and if I had more time, I would build this out with one academic study after another. I've got a ton of them. But we believe if 10% of the peninsula are Christ-centered homes, this city will change and biblically flourish. Not only will thousands of people's eternities be forever changed, and that's important, but so will key social indicators. We believe in 10 years, if we reach 10% of the homes, crime will drop. Poverty will decrease. People will stop being objectified. Hunger will decrease. So will fear. So will ethnic tensions. So will depression. So will the horrific rate of people throwing themselves in front of trains if 10% of the people are reached. Test scores will rise, we believe. GPAs will rise. Employment will rise. Healthy relationships will rise. Culture will be upgraded. Biblical prosperity will increase, we believe, if studies are right, and if what God put on our heart is right, if 10% of the homes are reached for Christ. 3,000 homes just for Revit City. That's why we're fixated on that number. How are we going to do that? Only by the hand of God being on us. But we have a strategy beyond that. Here's the first way we're going to do that. We're going to partner with other churches, other gospel-believing churches. I've got to tell you, in my 20 years of being here, I am seeing a unity on this peninsula fueled by the organization, really, I believe, that's in the video we're going to close with. It's called TBC, Transforming the Bay with Christ. I'm seeing a unity come together with gospel-believing churches like I've never seen before on the peninsula. On Thursday, I hosted a lunch just for Revit City pastors north to San Bruno. Fourteen lead pastors of gospel-believing churches took a risk and came to lunch. I promised them, I'm not going to ask anything from you. You're not going to get any flyers. You're not going to hear about a program. We're not going to do anything together. We're just going to grow together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Fourteen of them came. One was there just for uh, 45 days, new pastor on the peninsula. One had been there 32 years. That was the delta between us. 
And we came together and stacked hands and prayed for each other like I've never seen before. And one guy was leaving. He said, I've got to tell you something. He's a Redwood City pastor. And he goes, uh, I love this. He goes, you know, uh, in the fall, uh, actually someone came to my church. He wanted to tell me how much he believes in this unity thing. He said, someone came to my church and they were actually disgruntled. He was almost afraid to say this. They were disgruntled by, by PCC. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. I, I, I have that effect on people. <laughs> That's my spiritual gift. I tick people off. And uh, so they came to me and he said, they said, Pastor, we've just come from PCC and we're going to start here. And he said, they said, let us tell you about PCC. And he says, I stopped him. I said, PCC, this is the pastor of this other church. He goes, that's my church. They said, you go to PCC? He says, no, I'm the pastor of this church, but we're one church. So what do you want to say about my church? He said, they stopped right there. That's the kind of unity that's coming together. This vision is not about PCC. This vision is about all churches that are gospel-believing churches flourishing. And this isn't about PCC going multi-site. This is encouraging tons of churches to plant and to grow multiple expressions of the body of Christ on the peninsula. But what it means for us is a leap and a shift from one location to multiple locations all over. We're not leaving the hill. God gave us this land Men and women, we have 15 acres of debt-free land on the peninsula. I mean, my goodness, praise God. You know why that happened, by the way? Because people went to great lengths to bring people home. People sacrificed that we could be on debt-free land so that more people will come to know Christ. But 20,000 people are moving downtown. And so by the fall, we envision just our start, our first leap into this, having four different sites. 855 up here, a site. We call that Traditions. Uh, 905 in the gym, a site, which is tripled in a year in its size. Um, 11 o'clock right here, a site. And in downtown, by the fall, we see, after we challenge 75 of you and people from every site to go downtown, we see a site downtown, worshiping Jesus, live teaching, live worship, and then we see more sites growing all over the city as a result of what God's going to do. It's the only way we know of to reach the city. I've got news for you. They're not flocking up on the hill. Enough are. We're growing up here. But we believe the best way to go and reach the people is what our founder, Carl Johansson, an insurance salesman, said in the last letter he ever wrote me, which is on my office. I'll do a tour of my office if you don't believe me. You can all look at his letter. His last thing he ever said before he died, go to where the people are, Gary. Go to where the people are. We believe it can happen. So we're asking our great number to be 10%. Oh, the depths and lengths that people will go to see people come home. We see it in history. We see it when 33 miners in 2010 are below the ground in Chile and how the whole world came around that. What if we see it in our day spiritually and see the church come together and be the church and go to great lengths to get people home? What do I want you to do with this? I want to ask you one question and then I want you to think about something and get to a vision dessert. Here's the question. Where do you want to see God's hand on your life and around your life? Where do you really want to see a supernatural power with blessing in and around your life? And then can I just ask, can we just please, because we, we follow a man who was crucified and gave everything he had for us and calls us to die in order to live, can I just ask for a moment we look beyond ourselves and answer this question? Where do we want to see God's hand in our neighborhood, in our city, 
in the world. Why do we exist? What are we about? If it's not more and more people coming to know Christ and us growing more and more to look like the image of his son. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking for God's hand to come on us so that we, it starts with the church. You read that to us, sister. I, I, I forget, Angie, what, what's your name? Yeah, you. Yeah, you. America. America. That's really a name. That's right. Isn't that a great name? America read that passage. It starts with God's people. Yes, I can tell. No. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I know. I know. Amen. Amen. Thank you, America. It's about us. It starts with us. America's preaching now. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I'm ready, she says. <laughs> it's about us. It starts with us. We need to turn to the Lord first. And then I'll just close with this. Um, I'm not only excited about this vision. Can I be honest with you now? I'm scared to death. Because this is going to call more out of me as a disciple of Jesus than I've ever given before. And we've got a plan. You'll hear about this in the vision desserts and living rooms about our prayer strategy and our generosity and living into every one of those values. I'm so scared about this. But at the end of the day, there's nothing more I'd want to do with my life with you than to look back one day and go, oh my gosh, the hand of the Lord was on us. It was amazing. God did things we could never do in and of ourselves. Our relationships were grown and our neighborhoods are different and the city is different. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, may we see your hand in and through our lives. Yes, yes, Lord, you welcome the prayer for your hand to strengthen our marriage or to give health or to heal a relative. You welcome that prayer that prays for us, even for blessing and safety. You welcome those prayers. Thank you for being that kind of God. We need your hand for those things. And for everyone who thought of healing or character development or relational brokenness. Thank you. Please move your hand. And in the process, Lord, while we're broken, would you move your hand through us so we can be like the Antioch church that just speaks of Jesus wherever we go. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of you. We're not asking for us to conjure something up or to be better. I'm asking that your hand in grace move through us so that Jesus, like those Antioch believers who are nameless, it's your name that becomes renowned on this peninsula. It's your gospel that's known for influencing the world from this peninsula. We know you can hit this 10% number. Maybe that's too small. But would you give us the faith to trust you? We pray it in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.